listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel. An important part of any job is the tools you use to do that job. Yes. Okay. The problem or part of the problem is that if you're just starting out in design, there's a lot of tools that you could pick from, right? Oh, yeah. We've got the Adobe, Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah. We've got Sketch, Figma. Now you have things like Framer X, mm-hmm. you have UX Pin, Envision. Envision. So many tools, right? So I think the problem and what I want to talk about with you today is as a designer, how do you decide what tool to use? Mm-hmm. So this is a pretty lofty topic, like most things we talk about here. Where should we start? Why do we need tools? I don't know. I guess I feel like everything we do, we approach as a design problem. And then, you know, we have to identify what is the actual problem and is it really a problem? So maybe we start there. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Uh, And it actually kind of shines a light on some of the issues I think many designers run into when they're pursuing tools, right? So first and foremost, depending on the type of work you do, there's going to be a different tool that you can leverage to Mm -hmm. help you do that job, right? Mm -hmm. I think where a lot of designers tend to get hung up is looking for a tool that they hope will impact their work in a very positive way, uh, but often conflating the tool with the process. Right. And I think um, we've seen a couple of posts on this and a couple of comments on this. It's like, what tools do I need to be able to get a job, not get a specific job, but to get a job? Like, what tools do I need to know? And yeah, the answer is, is you don't, there isn't always like a clear cut answer. Yeah. You need to have some proficiency in tools. If you, if you don't know sketch or Figma or, um, what is it? Adobe XD, I think is what Adobe's, um, parallel product is. But if you don't know any of those, it would be really hard to, to learn a new tool if you don't know how to use that kind of tool in general. Yeah. So that's a great starting point. What do those tools all have in common? Well, at the most fundamental level, they're all vector editing tools, right? Right. So you can create uh, shapes that are in uh, you know, mathematical formulas, essentially, you don't need to know that, but, uh, and that that's how you can manipulate these shapes in the 3d space, not 3d space, sorry, 2d space mm-hmm. and they're vectors. So they're scalable infinitely. Right. Right. And so that's different from the world of Photoshop that we used to live in where you'd actually need to use a pixel based tool, which, um, in our last podcast, I think you said, why am I, why do I keep saying pushing pixels, pixels? Cause we don't put push pixels anymore. And I actually didn't realize that we don't push pixels anymore. Maybe we do in our, in our, the typefaces that we're using. Um, well, even then it's beyond that, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But you're right. Like, uh, pixels are very much a, a concept of the past. I think Photoshop, any bitmap based, uh, editing tool relies on pixels, which are right. not again, the mathematical. Formula. Right. And, and the reason that was a, a different sort of a world and, and why it matters that we have vector bases because, um, at the time, like, you know, you had one, typically one screen resolution and now we have, you know, I don't know what the iPhone is, but it's like, you can have two X or four X or whatever it is to get these like crystal clear resolutions. And it has to do with basically how many pixels per inch you get to see. Anyways, Google it. It's kind of complicated and there's a lot of math involved, but you would actually have to sometimes render, render different designs or different mocks for each resolution in order to make sure you had the right file size um, for things like icons um, or just to understand how it would resolve on different screens. And now we just um, have tools that are vector-based and you, if you need to export things, you can just export them out to the different sizes that you need. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's all these different tools. Each has different features. Um, 
but really like what is it that product designers need so again you need like some kind of vector editing and the reason for that is because you're designing for devices that have many many different types of uh, screen sizes and resolutions and pixel densities so you have to have a tool that can be flexible and fluid for that thankfully all yeah. the tools we've mentioned have that and that and that really actually um, tends to be more towards the middle of the end of the design process or you know and only apply to certain skills so right. when we're talking about these these tools they tend to be great for things like interaction design and visual design. Um, and, and each tool has different features that will allow you to do different things. Like, um, for example, Adobe XD, I know there's like built-in prototyping that you can do. I think a um, lot of these tools have some they, Or they form. have like a plug-in or something that you can do prototyping. And so that means it's not just for your flat visual design, but you can actually show interactions and sometimes even animations to be able to really visualize what not only the product will look like, but what the product will feel like as well. That flow. And yeah, how it'll move. Um, there's other prototyping tools that are out there. Um, Frameworks you mentioned is one. Um, Origami Studio, is that still around? Yeah, yep, Facebook's okay. uh, Origami. Yep, yep. yep. Um, any others that come to mind? There I'm are. like, I don't prototype, so. Yeah, there, there are a, a lot. There are many, many. And I think like new ones come out almost weekly now. Uh, I'm not familiar with Keynote. Many. Keynote is one that I want yeah. to touch on later. Well, that's that's uh, an, in, an interesting one to talk about. For those who don't know, Keynote is um, Apple's presentation software akin to uh, PowerPoint. Is it Apple? It is Apple. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but I like where you're going here with this, with this kind of theme where what we're talking about really is these kind of towards the end of the design process. These are the kind of tools we typically use and mm-hmm. talk about. Um, depending on your your caliber as a designer or your interests or your abilities uh, or your, your knowledge of these tools, you can also do things like wireframing. You can do uh, mapping. You can do like, per, you can build personas. Yeah, and most of them are still done in the same tools. Um, a couple of years back, we would use something like OmniGraffle um, for wireframes. And now um, tools like Sketch and Figma do symbols so well. And symbols are basically things that you can you can make a, a grouping of objects and then set them as a repeatable symbol. And then you're able to um, basically when you change one thing, you change everything. And so that was something that OmniGraffle used to do really well that Photoshop didn't where you'd just be copying and pasting things. And then if you change one thing like um, the corner radius or the text, let's say you say, um, you know, finished instead of done or something like that you'd have to go back and edit everything one by one and so in most of the um the vector-based programs that we've been talking about have those affordances built in so you don't actually need a different tool for wireframing and for doing your visual design and that's actually really awesome for product designers because that was also in a world where we'd have ux designers and ui designers and so they were different roles and they'd have different tools now that product designers are doing both those things it's nice not to have to switch from one tool to the other um, in order to make that transition from sort of your low fidelity wireframes to your high fidelity visual design. Right. And so again, a lot of these tools, a lot of these top tier tools, uh, offer these very similar functionality in this regard, but there are some differences between these tools. And I think this is where you start to run into problems. Okay. I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. Okay. Cause I, I mean, I think, I think one thing I wanted to call out is that we haven't actually touched on the sort of like product thinking part of the design process. And that's where we um, understand the problems we're trying to solve. We understand who we're trying to solve them for. We understand if they're really problems. We understand our data, um, collect any research, project-based documentation. And I, I feel like we always, when we talk about design tools, we always skip over to the, like, the actual executional tools. But I think there's a lot of really great tools that we need to use just to collaborate better 
and I think we should talk about collaboration with the executional tools too, but I just want to call out that some of your best tools as a designer can be things like Google Docs, the Google Suite. That. I love it, Google but Docs. it's it's so important. Like it really is. When I think of you know a project brief and what de- what role does design play and what role does the PM play and all of these different like sort of debatable questions we have, I, I don't think there's any argument. There's a lot of collaboration especially when we're figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and choosing tools in that case that are accessible to not only designers, but also PMs and researchers and engineers and data scientists um, and any leadership, it's really helpful to use commonly used tools. And I love the Google suite probably because I've just used it for the past, like, I don't know, many, many years, but to be able to have docs where people can comment and collaborate without having to say, Hey, can I go ahead and get a subscription to this new tool that you're using because I can't access it? And then when you access it, um, I know Figma has commenting, but um, some of the, the, I don't know if Sketch doesn't has commenting, but like if you tried to share your Sketch file with an engineer or with a PM and they didn't have Sketch, then they have to ask for a license for that and then they can't actually comment in it. So then you have to have like a separate offline conversation, whether it be in Slack or like, you know, Facebook's workplace or something like that. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff and maybe it's Google slides, maybe it's keynote, maybe it's like notion or something like that, but there's like great collaborative tools that give people access to earlier thinking. That's an equally important part of the process. Yeah, I agree. I didn't know you wanted to start here, but I think it makes complete sense to do so. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're kind of pulling us in that direction. So let's dive into this a little bit more. So, uh, I think this is really important to talk about these tools as well, not just for the collaboration sake, which I think is crucial. Like we definitely need to talk about that more. But even for like you as a designer working through a process independently, and to be clear, you should never work independently, but you do need time to kind of like sit and reflect and process your work and the problem space on your own. Yeah. Not only independently, like don't right. go off in your cape and then come back three months later and be like, aha. Yeah, exactly. But there are, there are tools you need to use as a designer just to kind of get your thoughts on the page to, um, to like add like resources, things like re- external research you're doing or example, uh, competitor analysis, like anything that you can do as a designer that's like documentation you're going to need tools and you know google docs is a prime one i think a lot of companies use that because it's it's either free or very discounted for a lot of companies um and anyone can access it you know we all have google accounts these days so if you start a google doc really anyone in your company would be able to access that document right right and 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 there's i mean even in that phase there's like processing tools and then there's collaborating tools so things like you know notebooks like carrying around your notebook and taking your notes and doing your sketches those are fantastic um i good Oh, go ahead. I was going to say like um, my process lately has been really interesting because I used to not actually sketch at all. But what I found is uh, I'm fortunate enough to have an iPad that I take to all my meetings now and I use uh, Notion, which is a yeah. Evernote. You can use Evernote if you like to do this. And I will just sketch in my working project documents in Notion, which I have and just where I collect my personal thoughts on the project. I can just like quickly sketch ideas as I'm in the meeting and like show people and like it's great. It's yeah. a great tool for that. And um, I was just talking on uh, Wednesday to our or Tuesday to our content designer Meredith, and she was like, she takes down stickies. Um, she writes on stickies in meetings, and she's got her laptop covered by the time she leaves. And I asked her the other day. I said, "What do you do with those stickies?" And she said, "You know, I actually take them and I transcribe them into a Google Doc." So she's taking notes twice. And I thought about that, and I was like, you know, for some people, like it's just helpful to to get your um, your 
your um re- or your memory going to jot down, but then you do the synthesis when you actually like transcribe it. So there's different things that work for everybody. I know that when I t- don't take notes and I don't always take notes, I tend to remember far um far less than I would if if I were documenting. But then the question is like, what do you do with that if you don't actually go back to that um, and use it for that collaboration piece or use that for that synthesizing piece? Then you just kind of have to figure out what how valuable that is to you. So at this stage of the design process or the project process, what you really need is just some way to kind of capture your ideas and ideally a tool that can help make those ideas maybe a little bit more transparent or collaborative. So again, this can be different tools. Like I said, I use Notion and then I hand that off to a Google Doc. I'll take certain notes from my, my personal doc in Notion and put it into Google Doc, which then my team shares. Um, but like, yeah, and it depends on like what part of the process you're owning because let's say let's say your your PM is in charge of your project brief and they do that in in Google Docs or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure Microsoft has word no that wouldn't be it anyway um so they put that together and you might comment on it but then you have to think of sort of the flow too so maybe then your job is to come up with you know the first three directions that you might you know choose to solve the problem then you know maybe you're actually sketching in a notebook maybe you're whiteboarding with your pm and and getting some sketches there but then the question is then how do you share back to that flow and so Sometimes it's best to sort of stay within the same set of tools so that people aren't jumping around. Um, sometimes it's best to have a variety of tools for different purposes. I was just thinking, you know, like we use Coda as another tool that we use. I don't, um, know, what, I don't know what Coda uh, is. Coda, it's a, how would I describe it? It's like sort of a cross between like Asana and like some of the Google suite. So it, it has, I don't know, you can basically make any sort of format, but it does a lot of like um, a kind of cell-based organization, but it's a little bit more text-rich than, say, a Google Sheet would be. Um, but that's something where it's like all of our team's roadmap within Coda. And so you can actually see everything in the same place. Can you imagine if every team like chose their own tool and then you're like, well, where is the list of all the teams? Or if you know, you're working within a team and you're trying to find your team planning versus your project briefs versus the sketches that you've done. Like that can really get pretty all over the place. Um, and then there's, you add in things like Dropbox or Google drive and how you store additional files. Um, we could talk about naming too, and like how you're able to find these things when you're trying to search across all of these different files. And everybody probably knows what that's like. It's like you have an email it's like you had a document somewhere and it was it in an email or a Slack conversation or who referred to it and how do you find it? So like, it's just to say like when choosing tools, it's really important to actually understand the ecosystem that you're working with, even beyond the design, um, into, you know, just basically your company and your teams. Oh my gosh. Yes. There, like, <laughs> I mean, there, there are a lot of tools for what you're describing. Uh, you know, Atlassian has Confluence and like mm-hmm. a whole suite of tools with Jira that are all interconnected. Uh, there's Dropbox paper, of course, for this kind of yep. stuff. And there's Google's product suite. Um, you know, we actually had this problem at Lyft recently where each kind of team was responsible for using the tools that felt right for their own projects. And so right. we had some teams using like uh, Facebook workplace for communication. We had another team who was using, I think Confluence, mm-hmm. another team that was using Google docs and Google drive, another team that was using like Dropbox. Uh, some teams were using sketch. Some teams were using Figma. Gosh. Some teams were using, um, I can't remember some envision prototyping thing. Well, like, and then you think over the years of time, it's like, cool. So each team and each, in, each individual 
and I think designers are pretty big offenders of this too, but it's like, oh no, I want to use this because it does X, Y, and Z for exactly. me. Yeah. And then, but think of like, so then you convert your whole team, but the whole company isn't working that way. Think of like when you leave the team, how many people have to do the work to find what you did. And so sometimes there's like compromise involved in choosing your tools and that you need to do what's best for the, for the many, as opposed to what's best for the few or opposed to what's best for you. And that's a hard thing. I remember when we were, um, we were moving our project from, um, our, I worked on a summit learning platform and we were moving it from Facebook to, um, CZI and we had a choice of sort of like, you know, Hey, we can go through and redo all of our processes. We can look at our tools and somebody wanted to really, really use Dropbox. And it was because his partner worked at Dropbox and he loved the tools and the tools were amazing. But the problem was we weren't actually using Dropbox at CZI. And so to enter in and like, you know, we had to look through security and all these sorts of things, but to enter into this and say, well, just for the design team, we just want to use Dropbox. There was a question of like, is that like, you know, if we were three people out of 200 or whatever it was, or five people out of, you know, 150, was that really worth it to, you know, pay for a whole new tool that people would need to get access to over time? And, you know, those are things that maybe the answer is, yeah, sure, like it's a far superior tool. Or maybe the answers are like, actually, no, we're sort of like just saying this because we are comfortable with this or because like we really think that this is the best for us. And so there's always these sort of considerations you have to make. And I mean, and I'm just talking about right now, like the 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 Googles and the Dropboxes and the, the normally accessible things. Um, but then when we get into the design tools that we started talking about at the beginning, it's a smaller pool of people that tend to need to like access, say your Figma or your sketch files, but it still opens that work, that question of what are we using and why? Yeah. So the first point here is really if you're, especially if you're joining an existing company who's kind of established, you shouldn't go in and expect to like take the tools that you personally like. You should look around the ecosystem and say like, what tools is the company? Are these teams already using? Yeah. Try to adopt those. Yeah. And that doesn't mean um, that you have to like learn them before you get the job. Like I had, I have, I hired somebody who was just using sketch and he was like, oh man, I need to use Figma before I get started. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Like, just hold on. Like, it's okay. Like you'll learn it on the way. Like no need. That's great. Cause I know that like, you know, we change tools frequently and it's part of our jobs to like understand how to ramp up on a new tool, but it doesn't mean that you have to have that like checked on your resume. In fact, I don't even know any hiring managers who look at the tools unless it's like you don't have any design tools, but I don't look and say, Oh, somebody doesn't know Figma. So they can't work on my team. No, this is like designers who put their favorite tools on their resume. Like get that off. No one, we don't need to know that. We just need to know that you can do the work. Right. Although I, there, there could be some companies that actually screen for those things if they're using any automated screening or anything like that. So I don't know. I wouldn't say you, you, you have to remove it, but I would say that most people don't look at it and you don't have to know a tool before, before you get started. You have to know how to use design tools. I remember when I joined Facebook, uh, it was, I think my, my second, third or fourth day there. And I sat down with uh, my mentor at the time and at the company and he's like, okay, so let's like open up sketch. And I was like, what is sketch? Uh. <laughs> at this time I had only used like Photoshop and illustrator. So I had no idea what the tool was even, uh, like about. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Oh, well like it's easy. Let's, let's open it up. And I think like after a week just playing with it, just messing around, I instantly picked it up. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly like I'm, I'm a few years older than you and it's harder for me to pick up new tools. It's just like, you know, I started 
designing when Photoshop was like Photoshop five and not even creative suite five. It was like 1997 or something like that. Sorry. Yeah. Whatever. Own it. Um, but when I had gotten to a point where I knew Photoshop so well, I think I've said this before, but I was such a late adopter of sketch. I was in the middle of a big payments project and just didn't want to switch over all my files. Um, but finally did. And, and yeah, there was, there was definitely a learning curve and that's fine. There's a learning curve for anything, but I think right now we're in a world where we're using so many tools that that learning is just part of what we do. So in this example, you, you kind of had to switch because the rest of your team was using sketch. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could still use Photoshop and I did for a while, but, and I, I took when, when I took on a new project, that was the time when I decided it was time to go all in. And I'm glad I did because I then became a whiz at sketch and sketch is so much faster. Um, but the problem that happened was I couldn't share files with my teammates. And so I think that's something that you actually have to consider is like, if you need to collaborate with somebody or let's say I was going to leave the team and I did eventually, no one would be able to edit. I mean, they would could edit my files, but they'd have to open up Photoshop to do it. And so there's some conversion that can happen between those. But it was it was actually if I were to have kept going, it would have been a selfish thing. It would have been a stubborn thing for me to say, no, I'm comfortable with this. I'm good at this. Um, this meets my needs rather than saying, hey, what meets the needs of the company? And at Facebook, you know, and you were part of this, like we had these great like things. I think we call them design pack where the design system was like plug and play. We didn't make that for Photoshop. We made it for Sketch. And so there was a there was a being a team player thing that I needed to do and con- and and take the time. And it does take time to learn a new tool. But um, I think the the Photoshop to vector base was a much bigger learning curve than vector base to vector base tools because yeah. they're generally somewhat the same. There's so much. They're to not that. the same. I'm sorry, Figma. I'm sorry, Sketch. <laughs> okay, so there's there's so much we could unpack here if we had the time and energy. Um, I, I think a, an underlining point here really is going back to what we said a second ago, where if your if your company or your team is already using tools, you should try your hardest to pick up those same tools, right? right. And the, part of the reason for that is not just like so you all can share knowledge about how you work. It really comes down to thinking about the legacy of your work itself. Because our job is never to just get the work out the door and be like, we did it. Our job is to create a kind of a, a landscape of knowledge and information and processes and things that the entire organization can also leverage in order to raise themselves up. Yeah. And I think, and I think back to my earlier point, like that goes, that applies to the design organization and then it applies to the company too. Like, again, can you imagine if each project brief that was ever written was, was in a different format and a different file? What if all roadmaps were different? Um, and then you have to, go back to those over time and sure roadmaps are written differently all the time. Um, it depends on the, um, product organization, how, how they hold, you know, PMs accountable to delivering that. But the consistency is really, really important. And I think there's something after this too. Like I had somebody who, um, was on my team earlier in the year and she was, um, I would call her like the great trialer because she wanted to trial every new product that came out And I think there's something to like, okay, cool. So what if we all agree on the same products and we're on the same tools and we're using those consistently over time? How do we keep evolving and making sure that we're um, understanding the new tools and understanding new technology that's coming out in order to aid our work to continually be better? And so... Um, my, um, former teammate was, would, I mean, she was the one who would like get in and learn new tools and kind of experiment with them and see if they were great for the team. 
And I thought that was a really good contribution. I think that can go either way in terms of like, is it useful? Like, is she sharing the knowledge and helping us upgrade? Or is it just like, are we just paying for one-off subscriptions? And that's a whole nother story. But this gets so tricky. And this goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning of this episode of where things kind of get, in my opinion, problematic. Because what you often see, especially with kind of inexperienced or more junior designers, is they're really drawn towards the new flashy broadly talked about tool (laughs) no matter what it is um and this will always happen there will always be a new tool there will always be a tool that touts itself as like the next innovative thing in the space and sometimes that is true but the the vast majority of the time at least from what i've observed is that um the right tool for any job is just the tool that works for you and so Again, Mm -hmm. talking about the tool that works for you and your team and your team. That's what I mean. Yes. But what you're trying to do as a team, the tool should support that. And often what I've seen is that when this new tool comes out and it starts making waves, maybe they have really big marketing dollars and they're, they're advertising everywhere and designers are really excited about this. They have a lot of energy. Designers will kind of go and say like, we have to use this new tool because it has maybe XYZ functions that our existing tool doesn't have. But then you need to kind of evaluate, well, do we actually need to switch that tool or do we need to change our process? Or is there another tool that we're currently using that kind of supplements our existing tool suite? Yeah. Right? And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I've seen this before and I think it comes from like, you know, when when you're in school, for example, like, and you first learn your design tools, it's like you you all of a sudden have like power and magic in, in your hands. And so that, that ability to then expand that toolkit is really, really appealing, literally your toolkit. Um, and also it's the same with process. Like, you know, new designers get really excited about process and then they kind of like get really stuck on process. And the further along you get in your career, you start getting more excited first, probably about your output. Like, Oh, I, I made this thing. And then it's a maker thing. And then you get really excited about impact and the outcomes that you have. And so it's no longer about the tools you use or the process you use or what you made. It's what what difference does that make on your users or on your community or on the world? And so I think that's just sort of a maturity and shift. And then you realize that the tools are just enablers and you need to enable more than just your ability to make cool shit. You need to enable your company's ability and your, you know, your product team's ability to collaborate well. And so that's where that sort of like, it becomes less of a, like, I'm using the word selfish and I don't mean that in like a mean way, but more of like, just like sort of self-centered, um, it, it becomes a more open choice to make sure that everyone can do their jobs better because you're collectively trying to drive your business impact. Right. So my feedback here usually is um, it, it's totally okay. In fact, I would encourage people to test new tools as they come out and kind mm-hmm. of evaluate. But you really need to kind of uh, measure the trade-off of doing consistent, reliable, impactful work versus exploring a new tool because there's a very real cost with especially as your team grows and the, your problem space grows there's a really real cost of transferring all of that knowledge and data and files to a new system right yeah that's a small thing if the tool is really going to give you an advantage but it's something you really have to keep in mind and again you're not just looking for things like does this new tool have a new animation style like that might not be enough to try to get the entire team to use this new tool right yeah and, and there there's actually like a real a real cost cost to it too um, I, when I look at, you know, usually when a company decides to have, you know, I don't know, five, 10 or more subscriptions to a tool, um, like Figma, for example, you end up getting a business rate for that and you pay in advance and then you get team licenses and you have, you know, so many seats that you can have on this tool and you pay for that. Um, 
And they're usually like, you know, priced well for what you need to do. And then sometimes the software will come with extras depending on if it's like a corporate or an enterprise um, um, rate or whether it's an individual rate. But then what happens when you start to test tools is like, yeah, sure, there's trial periods, but it usually takes, you know, longer than a trial period to understand if the tool is worth it. So if you've got like, you know, let's say you have a team of 10 designers and four of them are experimenting with all these different tools, you've all of a sudden got like four extra subscriptions for maybe three to five different tools running around. And that actually can be really costly. And then sometimes what happens is people aren't using them, but they actually don't want to get rid of them just in case. And so that as a business expense can really, really add up. And so there's, there's things that, you know, I, I kind of check every now and then because, you know, sometimes I'm paying for them through my, for my, through my corporate credit card for a couple people, or sometimes they're expensing them themselves and I'm not really keeping up on that. So I, I try and like make sure that everything is coming through is something that's being used. And one example is like, we don't, um, at Intercom, we don't have a Marvel, a Marvel enterprise subscription and Marvel is a prototyping tool. But we have a couple of people who use that like regularly. And so those are the ones that I'm okay with. But sometimes I'll catch things coming through where I'm like, I don't even know who's using this or if it's active. And it's, you know, even if it is only a couple hundred bucks a month, like that multiplies, that adds up really quickly. So there, there's something to like, you know, just being responsible too. It's like if you're if you're spending money, spend money to figure out if it's going to, if you're going to be using it and if you can scale it to the team. Yeah, Usually the way I've seen this broken down and the way that we've done it at Lyft, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we kind of cleaned up all the different tools that our teams were using. I, I think yeah, because I mean, honestly, like I remember at another company we had, we were spending like, it's like $40,000 or something on a tool that we weren't even using like that stuff. It just, it adds up so quickly. And a good way to tackle this is to assign someone kind of the role of being an evaluator of tools and they kind of own that process of exploration. Now that doesn't mean they go off and they try all the new tools and like, Oh, I think this is the one we use. No, they well, maybe it does that. To some degree, yes, they need to go and try those things, but they need to also work with their team to see like what are their needs, what are the problems that the current tool suite is not solving for them, what are they excited about, what's going to help their processes, is going to help with things like collaboration and transparency with the rest of the organization, like all these kind of things. But it can be very helpful to assign that task to some someone so they're kind of the accountable yeah, person for I that. Yeah, I could easily see that going through something like design ops where you're beta testing something and I mean that's like hey, do you have we actually did this with Figma back at Facebook. Um, a couple of us volunteered. And so then we had a commitment to use Figma and see if it was better or worse than what we were using at the time and see if the features that they had to come out with, like um, um, cloud collaboration and things like that were really worth it. And so it was a really intentional approach to see if it was worth switching over. It wasn't just like, you know, one person kind of uses it, expenses it, and then like just leaves the subscription running. And that's not going to work if a single person goes and do, does that because I think we talked about this in the last episode. When companies make decisions around like managers, for example, when they hire a manager, there are a lot of repercussions if you get that wrong, mm-hmm. where it's not just the the role that suffers, the entire team can suffer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same problem with tools where if if someone starts to adopt a tool and maybe they, they think it's worthwhile for the whole team and they get everybody on board. Again, like we said, there's a very real cost with getting everyone on board with that, with paying for the actual software. And if you end up learning that it's not actually quite what the team needed, you've now essentially burned a ton of money and time. Yep, and time. That's the thing that I wanted to just kind of double down on was like the the time it takes to ramp up. Like I, I'm, I'm saying both things. I'm saying it's hard to ramp up and also, but you can easily do it. And I think it's true, but like to get everybody up to speed 
And then also to make sure that your documentation feels really, really consistent and people have access to what they need to like that, that can be a kind of long and arduous process. And especially if then you decide to revert that, then that ends up being more pain. And I, I actually think this applies to design leaders who are managers who are coming in, who, you know, have preferences or have things that they've done in their past where, Oh, you know, we used X tool here and I'm going to bring it in. Like there's always a stopping to say like, Hey, what's working for us? What's not working? You know, hey, if you're a remote company and you have a lot of collaboration um, within files and maybe you have sort of active working sessions then maybe you need to lean into something more that has, you know, um, cloud collaboration or, you know, if you, I don't know, if you're one of your clients is Adobe, then maybe you need to use the Adobe products, but you have to actually like understand what the um, what the problems are that you're trying to solve and what the constraints are before you go in and just like kind of throw everything up in the air. And this is why I personally am a little bit um, averse to changing tools frequently. Um, I think that at the end of the day, your job as a designer is to execute on the design and, you know, collaborate, communicate those ideas effectively, make sure that the engineers have a clean handoff where they can understand what you've designed and the spec of those things. But the vast majority of tools we have today, like we said at the beginning here, they're very, very similar. They do have some critical differences that are worth considering whether or not those differences will work for you and your team. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that you can do on the process side that will help fulfill those needs as well. So it's really a measure of like, does our team need to stay with the current tool suite that we're all using and knowing and maybe try to define better processes for how we use these tools? And a common one that comes up, for example, is... Um, Figma is all in the cloud. It's very transparent. Anyone can access files if they're given permissions and things, but it's all exists in one central place. There's tools that you can do that with Sketch, for example, or Adobe XD. You can use Dropbox. That's a messy one, but we can get into another time. <laughs> uh, there's tools like Abstract, which has like mm -hmm. a versioning for your design mm -hmm. system. And then there's a whole suite of things that a lot of people don't even know about because they're proprietary. So mm -hmm. for example, I know that Facebook's uh, design system team have built proprietary tools that the team uses where whether you're using uh, Framer, Origami, Sketch, Figma, whatever else, the design system could dynamically be pulled into any of those tools. Mm. And so that's another thing that you have to keep in mind is like, are there things, or tools or processes that your team can build and leverage to make the whatever tools you are using today better? You don't have to switch to a new tool just because it's got this new shiny thing. You might actually be better off saving time and money and energy by staying with what you have now and just adjusting or modifying your mm -hmm. process. Yeah, totally. So... I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff here. I think there's, again, like there's so much more we could talk about. I think for me, really what it comes down to is if you're coming into an established place, look at the tools that they're using and like try to try to adopt those. Yeah. And look, look at the processes too. Like it, designers aren't the only people that use tools. Like there's researchers. What? What? I know researchers use tools. Um, what do you Product use managers, for interviewing engineers. or remote conferencing? Um, what are you using for data? So there's all sorts of, so it's, it's actually probably worth going in and saying, Hey, what would it even take to change tools here? Um, if, you know, if you are to identify that the tools might not be working best for the, for the problems to be solved. And then, you know, definitely it's worth trying out new tools that, I mean, we've seen, especially in, in just what we were talking about, like first we were in Photoshop, then we were in sketch, then we were in Figma, then Adobe XD came out. Like there's so many different companies and, and Framer X is another one that are in the mix for, you know, how we design and how we prototype that it's hard to predict who's going to be, you know, the leader in that in say five, 10 years. 
And so it's, it's realistic that we will have to evolve the tools that we use and we'll have to change things up. But whenever you go about it, I think what we've talked about is, you know, how can you do so with intentionality and make sure there's a system behind it and that we know what's going to happen if it does work, if it doesn't work and what's the scaling plan and things like that. I want to say here that um, you, you mentioned something just a second ago, which was, you know, who's going to be a leader in this space? It doesn't matter. Ignore it. It does not matter. What matters is if your team is using, using that tool and you can use that tool effectively to do your job, right? So, uh, you know, I think a great one is Figma. Like Figma has so much clout right now and everyone's mm-hmm. really celebrating the, the joy of using that product. Um, I, it, it doesn't matter what everyone else is using if it's not going to work for you. So yes, go investigate that tool. Absolutely. Spend some time to research it and think about it, maybe even trial it. But at the end of the day, ignore what everyone else is talking about and focus on what's going to work for you because it might not be what everyone else is using. And he means when he says... You, he means your team, yes. not just you as an individual. No, yeah, none of this should be while you are a special flower, you still have to work collaboratively when you're working in a product environment. And this leads to another interesting thing, which I've observed a lot, and I, where if you're in any kind of design space, whether it's uh, on Twitter or on a group on Facebook, maybe some Slack channels, maybe in real life conferences, what you'll often see is people love to talk about the tools they use. They love it. Um, they will often just you know, you can say, Hey, what tool should I use as a designer on Twitter right now? And you will get hundreds of people replying saying, I love so-and-so tool. This is the best. You have to use this. And yet you (laughs) have 10 tools you should use in this example. Like you've given zero context for what kind of work you do Mm -hmm. and how much collaboration you need and what kind of communication the tool Mm -hmm. needs to do on your behalf and how much money you can afford on a license. And like, there's all these considerations that you have to take. So these conversations are not very helpful. Uh, and yet they happen. And the reason they happen, uh, I think, goes back to a, a quote by um, someone I really admire, Merlin Mann. If you mm-hmm. don't know who Merlin, Merlin is, you should look him up. Uh, I think his name is Hot Dogs Ladies on Twitter. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but he said that he had this great article about tools. And he said, uh, the quote was, you know, it's it's much funner to talk about running shoes than it is to go out and run. <laughs> and I think <laughs> that's, that's so com- good. I think it's completely true here as well, where it's like, you know, it's so easy and fun to talk about tools and their pros and cons. But at the end of the day, like you just need to get your job done. And listen, like we're when it comes to it, we're like tech nerds. We're tool nerds. Like I, we should be excited when new things come out. We should geek out over them just like we do every time, you know, the new Apple Watch comes out or whatever. That's it's part of what we do. And that's fun. But like when it comes to decision making and when it comes to like actually saying, yes, this is the tool for us, it takes a lot more than just like being excited about the new and shiny because frankly there's going to be a lot of new and shiny in the tools world we've already seen a substantial amount of it in the last like even the last like five six years yeah so i mean let's see at the end of the day like i really hope that designers listening to this just try to take a step back when it comes to tooling and thinking about what tool is going to be right for their job and just try to really evaluate very critically what is going to help you do that job effectively and again Mm -hmm. when i say you I mean, your team, right. your organization, even what is going to help your organization. And a good way to kind of evaluate that is to look back at, you know, what is your current process? Do engineers need things handed off explicitly or is it OK if engineers actually dig around the design file? And if they're digging around the design file, how do you secure kind of um, the original intention of behind the design, making sure that people aren't making accidental mistakes? How do you ensure that once you leave the team? Maybe you go on a vacation, for example. Uh, someone else can come or in. Or leave the company. Or leave the company. Someone else can come in and adopt your designs and instant, kind of not instantly, but uh, just be able to make decisions with what you've built 
carefully um, and being able to manipulate things as needed. It's not very helpful if, if the one person on the design team is using a tool that no one else is using and no one knows how to use. Now, how do you get like that information out of that yeah, file? Yeah, and I mean, we didn't really talk about like actual tool integrations, but like maybe we can just talk about that loosely really quickly, which is, you know, hey, if, if you do have, you know, say a sketch file and that's something you need to share and not everybody has access you know, is there easy ways to export and, you know, put in your Google slides? Well, that's something that Dropbox paper actually does really well is if you update your files, it'll just auto update in the, in the, um, the paper document. But there's like different things is like, how do you create that trail? And it could just be like, you know, Hey, you have one like text-based document and it's got links to everything that you ever need, but how in the suite of tools and not just design tools, how do they, like, what's the interoperability? How do they work together? I mean, that's something to consider too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't want to harp too much on this because again, it really, really comes down to what you and your team need for tool. Mm -hmm. But something I really admire about some of the tools like Sketch and Figma in particular is they have a dynamic way of anyone can build into their interfaces, into their tools through via plugins. Mm -hmm. And I think that's immensely powerful. And that's one reason why those tools in particular are so valuable today, where if uh, for example, you know, I use Sketch personally, and I know that if there's anything I need from Sketch, whether it's some kind of handoff to like Google Docs or some kind of special exportation, or if you need some way to like pull in our design system, like I can program that really easily within a few minutes and my entire team can now leverage that. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to change tools because we can build those things ourselves. So like, I don't think that's a reason to use something like Sketch or Figma. Again, like you need to think very critically about what will work for your team. It's just another advantage of tools like that. Right. And that just is such a good example of how tools evolve over time, too. It's like Photoshop didn't do that. And so, I mean, that's why they Adobe made XD was to have something that was more compatible. But it is, you know, it is like keep in mind that things will be coming. We probably I don't know. I always hate any sort of like hate is a strong word. I always like don't really love any sort of prediction for design. What's the future of design going to be? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. What are the future of tools going to be? I don't know. Like, well, somebody will come out of nowhere and, and, and blow us out of the water. Um, but it is, it, it's important to be aware, but it doesn't mean that every time something new comes out that you have to jump on that. Exactly. Cool. cool. All Did right. It. That's it for this time. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye-bye.